Welcome to Lambs to Lions. You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Matt Funk. Wow. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling something powerful. And I think, sorry, I'm, I have a message set aside or prepared. I did prepare something, but I think there's some people here who need prayer. I just sense that. There's some people who are struggling. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's, maybe it's emotional. Who needs prayer? You need prayer. Raise your hand. Ty needs prayer. Anybody else need prayer? Pastor Matt needs prayer. See, we need prayer. So, gentlemen, lay your hands on the gentleman and raise their hand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. We thank you that you leave the 99 for the one. We thank you that you are here moving. You are alive and well. And Lord, whatever needs, whatever things are going on in these lives, Lord, we just pray that you would move, that you would reveal yourself to them, and there would be no doubt that you are walking with them. They are not alone. You are with them. We are with them, Lord. Lift them now in Jesus' name. Speak to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, today we're going to read from Ruth chapter 1. So Ruth... So this is an interesting one because normally if I was to give a message, I'd spend hours in prayer trying to figure out what I was going to pray about. But James is speaking about Ruth and Naomi. And so I start reading Ruth and Naomi. I was just talking, this isn't part of talking to Dell about this this morning. I said, Dell and Darcy, I'm reading Ruth and Naomi and suddenly it hits me, Ruth and Naomi. Oh, like the place in town. And oh, they sojourned or they went to the back to the promised land where they were provided with like, oh my goodness it all makes sense how did I never put that together so <sighs> there's a chain there so I've entitled this and it's funny because I, I titled always listen to your mother-in-law and it was supposed to be a question mark on the end but I forgot to put the question mark on it so <laughs> it's always listen to your mother-in-law so some history for this is that in the days when the judges ruled, as uh, the story begins closing, it was a 400 period of basic anarchy and oppression. The Israelites were not ruled by kings, but by periodic deliverers that God raised up when the nation sought him. Some of the judges you might recognize were Gideon, Samson, Deborah. Each of these raised up by God, not to rule as kings, but to lead Israel during a specific challenge and then go back into obscurity. The days when the judges ruled were actually dark days for Israel. The period was characterized by the phrase, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 17 and 6. Does that sound familiar? Mm. In these days, a man from Bethlehem left the land of Israel to sojourn to the country of Moab because of the famine. Bethlehem was a rich agricultural area. The city name actually means house of bread. Bethlehem. But the times were tough, so he went to the pagan land of Moab. Now to get to Moab, they had to hike through the Jericho Pass, 
through the Judean wilderness near the Dead Sea, crossing the Jordan River, is this all starting to add up here? Into the land of Moab. This place was different from the promised land that they had just left, going back towards the wilderness that God had delivered Israel out of was clearly steps in the wrong direction. So my first point here is the results of compromise. In Ruth chapter one, we see that Bethlehem was a place that experienced not only a physical famine, but a spiritual drought. A famine in the land, God had promised that there would always be plenty in the land if Israel was obedient. Therefore, a famine in the land meant that Israel was not obedient to God. Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 7, if you wanted to read that. So the compromise, first compromise was they went on a sojourn for a while. So sojourn or a trip, but to, to sojourn means to leave with the intention of returning. And Amalek, I have trouble saying that one, <laughs> had his intention of a short visit turn into 10 years tragedy-filled years for his family. And Elimelech, Elimelech, thank you, I need to hear it, <laughs> never returned to Israel. They, were, they left without God's blessing. And since Israel wasn't being obedient to God, we can assume that Elimelech was not being obedient either. Right? So, for him leaving, the result <laughs> was... Amalek soon died and his wife Naomi was left to care for their two boys. So it's hard to say that God's judgment was against them and it's difficult to understand why tragic things happen. Um, but it's certain that, we, that a change of scenery didn't make things better. We sometimes think we can move away from our problems but we find we're just bringing them with us. No matter where you go, you bring yourself with you. So the same problems can continue in a different place. You often have to ask yourself, what's the common denominator here? Is it me? So compromise number two. Now, they took wives of the women of Moab. Milan and Chilon grew up and married Moab women, Orpah and Ruth. Again, this was not an obedience to God because God had commanded the Israelites not to marry among the pagan nations surrounding them. <clears throat> so the boys are being not obeying now. So result number two, <laughs> then both Naomi's sons died. So we have three childless widows, um, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. So it's got me thinking about compromise. And so there are generally four areas or reasons why Christians compromise. We have a fear of rejection, fear of being alone or pointed out from the crowd. We might be different. Tolerance. So we have a sympathy or indulgence for beliefs or practices that defer from God's. Often it's pleasure, willingness to give in to being happy. Sometimes it's just laziness, too lazy to fight for what God believes and you give in. The four stages of compromise are attraction. Something gets your attention. Second, you justify it. Justification. We make reasons for the wrongs to be okay because of the desire. Well, you know, 
oh, it's okay. God, I actually heard this just recently. Does God really care that I'm living with my girlfriend? Right? Not for me to judge on what's going on in someone's life, but compromise, it's a steady, gradual thing. Because then indulgence, your strengths are removed and the conscious is hardened. And when your conscious gets hardened, you're in trouble. Then comes redefinition. We redefine what is wrong according to the Bible and present in our lives to, to remove guilt. So we're going to redefine things. Um, you make excuses. And often these seasons, we can be tempted to compromise our faith, to seek the things in the wrong places, to rely on our own understanding. The story of Ruth reminds us that compromising our faith will never lead to a true fulfillment. Instead, we must hold fast to God's promises, trusting his faithfulness and cling to our beliefs. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Hebrews 11, 1, Now faith is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Point two, it's not too late to start over. See, for Naomi, these times to be a childless widow was among the lowest, most disadvantaged classes in those times. There was no one to support you. You had to live on the generosity of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab and no one else to help her. It was a desperate situation. So in verses six and seven, they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. See, Naomi heard that God was doing good things back in Israel. She wanted to be part of the good things that God was doing. Maybe, just maybe. This set Naomi apart from many other people. Many hear of the good things God is doing in the lives of others, and they only wish they could have some of it. Instead of actually setting out to receive it, They just stay. Naomi could have stayed in Moab all of her life, wishing things were different, but she did something to receive what God had to give to her. So where is God calling you? My son Scott and I recently went and saw The Sound of Freedom. If you haven't seen it, this is my advertisement. Go see it. Um, There's a part of the movie, I'm not going to give it away, but there's a part of the movie where I was like, he's going to die. This is it. He's over. Oh, wait a second. He... I know he lives, so it's going to be okay. It actually calmed me down. I was that, that, it was that good. But there's a quote in the movie that just, I was like, you can just stop it there. I just got to sit on this. He's talking to a gentleman and he says, when God tells you what to do, you cannot hesitate. So why are you hesitating? What is it that you're hesitating on that God has told you to do? 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge in Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Romans 8.31, I got this one out of the message. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God did not hesitate to put everything online for us, embracing condition and exposing himself to the worst by (laughs) sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? So they start back along the way. Naomi has second thoughts about them joining. Naomi says, go return to your mother's house. This, This made sense, actually. This was probably the wise thing to do. Orba and Ruth had stronger family ties in Moab they, than they did with Naomi. Uh, so it made sense for them to stay in Moab instead of going to a new land, Israel, with Naomi. It made sense. Stay with your family. So there's a bit and back and forth, but eventually Orpa listens to her mother-in-law. <clears throat> We've already kind of joked about the mother-in-law, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but v- verse 14, Orpa kisses her mother-in-law but Ruth clung to her. There comes a place in our following after God where it comes down to doing. Ruth and Orpah both felt the same feelings, but Ruth did differently than Orpah. Ruth's declaration, now this one's beautiful. This is like, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people. This was an amazing commitment, but Ruth's commitment to Naomi went even further. And your God will be my God. This was more than moving to a new land. Ruth was giving up the Moab gods she grew up with, embracing the God of Israel. She was deciding to follow the Lord. This meant that Naomi's relationship with God had made an impact on Ruth. This is amazing because Naomi didn't have an easy life. She'd been widowed, she'd lost both her sons, believed that she'd even caused each of these things by her disobedience, yet she still honored and loved the Lord. This question hurts me because I don't like the answer that I'm going to give myself. But do people look at your life just as Ruth looked at Naomi and said, I want your God to be my God. Pastor Matt says, your mess can become your message. Therefore, by trusting in God and turning towards him, even when others say you should give up, your perseverance can be the thing that draws others to the Lord. So are you a Ruth or Orba? Are you going to go back or are you going to stay? So now, this is interesting. A little bit of studying on Orpah. And we don't know for sure, but Jewish Jewish traditions say that the request of Naomi came four miles outside of Moab. And that Orpah shed only four tears over the thought of parting from her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's said in recompense for the four miles that she went with Naomi, Orpah gave birth to four sons. Those four sons were believed to be Goliath and his three brothers. Interesting tie-in. Because we'll get to the end and you'll see even better. Okay, so point three. Still faithful, but still bitter. As Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem, the entire town is stirred wondering if this is truly Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, 
because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. So the label she asked for is bitter. What label are you wearing? I was just talking with Gary about this last night. What label has been put on you? Because labels have an impact on how we perceive ourselves. I'm a failure. Are you a failure or did you just fail at that thing? I know for me, for a long time, I, I struggled with feeling like I was fake. If people really knew who Darren really was, they probably wouldn't like you. You're unworthy. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve God's favor. I don't deserve whatever. I'm incompetent. Oh, I just always do that. I'm not that smart. I always make mistakes. These are things we say to ourselves. Oh, I'm just broken. So an expert in human behavior, Chase Hughes, says, we are all products of our childhood traumas and rewards. So what trauma have you allowed to shape your life? Maybe someone did something. Someone said something to you. It sticks in your memory like it happened yesterday. Maybe you don't even remember who said it or did it, but you took on that label. You put it on yourself. You know, I think we often give Satan a lot of credit when we've done a lot of this stuff to ourselves. You know, I, I was telling Gary this last night. Um, I had this good friend and we used to get together for coffee and he would continually, every time we were together, would say, well, you know, I'm su- with me being suicidal. I'm suicidal. And, well, you know, I struggle with that because, you know, I'm suicidal. And finally, one day I got mad. I was like, dude, you're not suicidal. He says, well, no, no, I am. I said, no, you're not. Do you think you're going to commit suicide right now? Are you thinking about it right now? He says, well, no. I said, well, then you'd have suicidal thoughts. You're not suicidal. Uh, I was in Calgary last week out for coffee with him. And he said, you know, I don't think about suicide anymore. So I called him out on his stinking thinking, as we would say. Now, it takes a certain amount of relationship to do that. Uh, he and I had built a long relationship to be able to say that. <clears throat> but I would encourage you, if you're, if you're sitting there saying, well, I don't really struggle with, with having those negative thoughts, that's not really a problem for me, then encourage others. Build others up. You know, there was one day I, <clears throat> I was walking into my house and my neighbor's daughter, she's eight or nine, She's got a blanket out on the, on the front lawn and she's watching her playing a game on her iPad outside. And my first thought was, that's weird. And I was going to say to her, you're so weird. And I caught myself. I walked by, I said, you're so awesome. You're cool. I like you. Have a great day. Walked in. 
Now, she may not remember me, that inter- interaction, but I would rather her remember that interaction than me going, oh, you're so weird. What does that do to someone? We're all products of our childhood traumas and rewards. So I enjoy playing cards. Something I always enjoyed doing. And I'm from Ontario originally. And so in Ontario, everybody plays Euchre. Lewis knows what I'm talking about. So in Euchre, if you've never played it, there, every hand there's a trump card. And no matter what card is played, if you're holding the trump card, you will win the hand. So someone plays that, oh, they put down the ace, and you're like, no, I got the trump card. I, I trump you. Our trump card is right here. The word of God. So when you're dealing with those thoughts, I know Rick's talked about this in the past, about the verses that you go over every morning. I am statements. I know I did this several years ago, and I started reading every morning these I am statements. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me, Romans 8, 37. I'm free forever from condemnation, Romans 8, 1. I am died with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is now my life, Colossians 4, 1 through 4. I'm a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. I am loved. Hey, Pastor Matt. I'm loved. Yeah. I am born of God, and the evil one, the devil, cannot touch me. 1 John 5, 28. I am being changed into the likeness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. I mean, I haven't figured out, but I'm being changed. He's working on me. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God in Christ. I have been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge, guaranteeing my inheritance to come. 2 Corinthians 1.21 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So what are you thinking about? What's going on? See, when God starts working in our lives, people will notice your testimony of God's goodness and grace will draw others to him. So later in the story, we find that Ruth... (laughs) Okay, I'm losing my notes, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Ruth's faithfulness catches the eye of Boaz, a wealthy landowner who becomes a symbol of Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Boaz's redemption of Ruth and Naomi is a foreshadowing of the ultimate redemption offered by Jesus Christ. When we remain faithful, God notices and he orchestrates (laughs) moments of redemption in our lives, no matter how devastating our circumstances may seem. God can turn your mourning into dancing. He's a master of redemption, taking the broken pieces and weaving them together and a masterful grace and restoration. So let's read in Ruth 4.13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you with a guardian, without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. 
He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons. Now, you got to understand, in that time, you had seven sons. You were, you were, that was wealth. Has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said to Naomi, said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. So we've got two women making choices. Which one are you going to choose? You know, we live in a broken world, and nobody can argue that. And, I mean, you just turn on the news, and you hear what's going on. You watch a movie like The Sound of Freedom, and you see what's going on. And this world is broken. But it wasn't designed to be that way. God had a different plan. He had a plan for us to live in communion with him. He created Adam and Eve in the garden to live with him. But they sinned. And because of that sin, that moved us into this broken world. And you can see that people still are trying to get out of this broken world by drugs, sex, whatever they can do, seeking pleasure, even momentary, to get out of this world. But God, we don't have it. Oh, there we go. Has an exit plan. (laughs) That's Jesus. Jesus who came, died, was buried, and on the third day rose. So if we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of those. If we ask him to become the Lord of our lives, he will become the Lord of your life. I'm going to go back to this one verse here. when she said wherever you go I will go wherever you live I will live your people will be my people and your God will be my God today's your opportunity if you've not accepted Jesus and made him Lord of your life let's just bow our heads let's just stand up and bow your heads pray this simple prayer with me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've failed. I know I've turned away from you in the past. Today I'm turning towards you. Today I'm asking you to come into my life. 
to heal me of this brokenness, to forgive me of my sins, and to make me whole. Lord, I commit my life to you today. In Jesus' name. So stay in this moment. If that's the first time you've prayed that prayer, just give us a little hand shot up. If you're online, send us a message. We'd love to know about what's going on in your life. So uh, I'm going to pass it off to Pastor Matt because he hasn't got to speak in like four weeks, so I'll let him do the baptism. (laughs) Wow, can we give it up for Darren? What a powerful word. I'm just so uh, proud of this house raising up men in the fivefold giftings and one of that being teachers. There's just amazing, powerful teachers in this house. And um, yeah, I got, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but it just, it came to me. uh, One of the speakers that was at the Legacy Conference, I got to share my heart with him. I said, I had a vision um, of this church a while ago that it was an aircraft carrier. And I think it was because someone reminded us not that long ago that this this isn't a cruise ship. This church isn't a cruise ship. It's a battleship. <laughs> okay, we're not here to cruise. But this beautiful vision, I saw these planes coming in, and uh, we've watched uh, Top Gun or Maverick. We're actually going to do that next week, and I've been studying it because I'm teaching on it. <laughs> well, I'm going to be teaching on the word, but I'm going to use that. Um, but you see all the men run around. Uh, the fighter jets and they're fueling them up and they're loading them up with ammo and stuff and fixing them whatever they need and then off they go that's this church our vision is to reach teach and mobilize and we're coming in and we're getting the things that we need but the thing is with that plane that plane always comes back because that plane is fighting on the same team but it's going to have to come back. It's going to have to get refueled. It's going to have to... There's a sense of covenant here, but the covenant is always... Our covenant is with God, not just with others, but we need both. We need God and we need each other. And there's a blessing that we heard in that. It just hit me so hard that you don't realize the legacy. We just came back from a conference. You don't realize it goes way beyond you when you commit to what God wants to do in your life and you commit to other brothers in Christ. It goes beyond your generation to another generation to another generation that will help take down Goliaths that will try to come against what God wants to do in their life. Powerful. We need to be thinking legacy. Part of the legacy is what Jesus taught us in discipleship to go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey his commands, and surely he is with us always. And the word baptism means to be fully immersed, all of it. In Romans, it says we go in the water, represents when Christ went to the grave. It says that we are actually crucified with Christ, buried with Christ. When we come up out of the water, it says that we are resurrected with Christ most powerful message you'll ever witness and ever see. And it doesn't matter where people are from or what they believe. When they come into this house and they see baptism, they are set free. So if you haven't been baptized, or I'm throwing this out there too, if you have been baptized, you know, I I got to teach on it at Legacy. I saw all these 
young adults line up the first night. I got to speak Friday night. And then Saturday, the, the day they had planned baptism, we were all outside. And no one was coming forward. And I had Ethan there, and he's playing guitar. And it was powerful. You could feel the heaviness. There was something powerful. And, the, and if you know anything about Royal Oak Victory Church, it's a beautiful church. Beautiful building. Beautiful people. But there's a hill that overlooks it. And there's a Mormon temple on that hill. And we're outside, and there's a Mormon temple looking down on us. And all these young adults are out there, and the Lord pressed on my heart. Tell them they can still come forward. If they've been baptized in religion, if they didn't understand what they were doing, they can still come forward. They can rededicate their life to the Lord. They can still come forward. And so I did that. And this pregnant woman comes forward first one to step up. She hears her testimony and she gets baptized. Then an East, an East Indian man comes forward and he shares his testimony and how the religion that he was raised in and then how his parents became Christians and his mom baptized him in private. Now it still counted, but for him in his heart, he wanted to make it public. He, want, he said, I've been living in secret my whole life. My family's been living in fear their whole life. They even baptized me in private because they were scared about their family and what they would do to them. And then when you said that, I knew I had to come forward. And he shared his testimony. And then more came forward and more came forward and more came forward. If you want to be baptized today, you have a significant time in your life where you're saying, you know what? I'm laying it down. Like you said, I want people to know when they see me in my life, they, I want his God. Would they say that? Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. So if you want to go with Jesus and you want to step in the water, I need two burly men to lift that lid up right now. I'd be honored to baptize you at this time. Let's worship God. Let's praise him. Ethan, you got another song we can sing? Let's do it. Thank you for tuning in today and thank you for continuing to partner with us and for giving so generously to this ministry. If you would like to find out more about how you can partner with us, visit our website at www.wherepeoplematter.church and click the giving link. And don't forget to subscribe and share this with your friends. See you next time.